Welcome back to Interjections, everyone. Here for a Derby d'Italia recap. I've got Miko, Jay, and Irfan with me. Irfan, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. Thanks, Andrew. Good uh, overall, I guess, a decent result. Um, we'll dig into it, of course, but uh, could have been a lot worse, so I'm doing all right. What about you, Miko? Yeah, I'm doing well as well. Unlucky we couldn't get the win, but it is what it is. How about you, Jay? I'm out of it is what it is. Um, disappointed we didn't get the win. Definitely felt like we could have uh, tried harder or kind of given a bit more, but I understand that both teams probably didn't want to risk much more than what they gave, you know. Uh, probably both very happy to settle for the for the draws. So ultimately, you are right. It is what it is. <laughs> well, uh, let's dive right into it. I was very surprised by how aggressive Juve came out in this match. They took initiative, which I didn't really expect. They they were pressing high up the pitch. They were forcing us to make some uncomfortable passes from deep in our ends. And I, I will say it was mostly mistake-free. There were, there were a few nervous instances, primarily involving a Cherby and summer that had me a little worried at the start but for the most part we weathered the storm until we didn't and there was a there was a bad pass that was honestly basically a howler that led to Chiesa getting the ball in a dangerous spot Chiesa finds Vlahovic and suddenly we're down one nil against the team that's inept against in attack for the most part so Irfan I guess I don't think you can really dispute that it was a bit of a howler that led to the goal, you know, because of the misplaced pass. But maybe how nervous were you after we go down 1-0 on the road at Juve? Yeah, very nervous. Um, And I think you summed it up perfectly. Uh, I think Juventus came out with a lot more energy than we did. They they came out to play and they were excited uh, more than we were. I, I thought we were okay. I mean, I don't I don't think there was a lack of intensity. Um, I, th- I think our plan seemed to have been to kind of contain um, for the most part. So I-, I was okay with the way we started. I mean, they're also at home, um, so it makes sense for them to come out a little more excited. So it was it was interesting to me. It felt in the beginning a lot like the match we played against uh, Real Sociedad, where we just had no space, no time, no room. Uh, you look at their players, you look at their the team lineup, and you're not impressed really at all with anyone other than the two people involved in the goal scoring, which were Chiesa and uh, Vlaovic. And yet, the way the midfield and defense generally performed, I mean, we'll get to our goal later, but the way their midfield and defense generally performed, they gave us no space. I mean, there was, there, you know, they were, we were closed out um, almost immediately. Um, there was people in front of us whenever we got the ball. There wasn't a lot that we could do, and we definitely did struggle to to keep and move the ball. Um, so when they went up uh, one goal, uh, definitely I was extremely nervous because, like you mentioned, the one thing we know about this Juventus team is they're not great at attacking, but they're really good at defending. And so as soon as we went down 1-0, I knew it was going to be an uphill climb. Uh, and luckily it didn't take long, but it worked out. Um, on the goal, the only thing I noticed... I know you mentioned there's a holler of a pass. I can't remember now who made that pass, but on the goal, it definitely seemed like DeVry was kind of caught in no man's land. I think two people went with Chiesa, including Darmian, and so DeVry would have been the person to kind of track 
the run of Vlaovic, and he left way too much room for Vlaovic. He was kind of just standing in the middle of nowhere. So, you know, I think he, he needs to do better on that one. But again, when you give up the ball like that and you're kind of off balance, there isn't, you know, too much you can do. Yeah, it was Dumfries who had the misplaced pass that I, I'm deeming a howler. Miko, I don't know if you disagree with my assessment. Or well, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a pass. It was um, like, I think, a Juve clearance that actually, was it a pass? I can't even remember now, actually. Uh, all I know is he tried to chest the ball and control it and take the ball, you know, inwards, but then he he just uh, he got too much power on the ball, and then the ball spilled, you know, to the wood, towards the center of the pitch, and that created the um, or then that led to Vlaovic passing out wide to Chiesa. And I, I remember it was the second time in the game that something really similar happened. I can't remember whether it was a Juve clearance or a long ball that he intercepted or a long ball from our own uh, defenders. But yeah, there were two distinct instances where Dumfries, essentially his ball control just uh, let him down really badly. And both times, like, it's safer to let the ball, you know, run out, you know what I mean? But he tried to control it and take it into the middle of the pitch. But just, yeah, that, that that's a really dangerous place to lose the ball, you know? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I'm just trying to remember this. It's hard when you haven't watched replays. But I, I think you're right. He tried to control the ball. He didn't. I, I thought he was trying to distribute it. Maybe I'm wrong. And then it led to Chiesa taking it, immediately taking on kind of Barella and DeVry and leading to the goal-scoring chance. Miko, what did you think of the goal we conceded? Yeah, I think it, it went exactly like Jay said, that it was Dumfries doing the, or making the wrong decision. He should have, like, headed it straight away. It, it seemed like he, he was about to head, but then he decided to, like, take it with his chest, and then it went like bounced off his chest and or or something like that and and that was exactly what we wanted to avoid at any point of the match to like lose the ball in the midfield to give counters to you because well we saw in the goal they are super dangerous when they get those counters and in general i think both teams were like very 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 careful in in their like overall game that neither team took any risks at all we just cycled the ball (laughs) in our defense like half of the match almost and and we just didn't we like didn't try almost anything it was like so risk-free play we i don't know that, that that's maybe the part I wasn't too happy about. But on the other hand, we saw what happened when, when someone make mistakes. So, yeah. So immediately, six minutes after conceding, just what a response. I, I, I'm not going to lie. I thought this game was over as soon as we conceded. I thought this was going to be a good 70 minutes of Allegri sitting deep daring us to attack and us struggling to unlock their defense. So I I was just so impressed when we came back six minutes later and put together a fantastic team goal. I can't say enough about Taram taking on his defender, picking out a pass 
Lataro made a great run to kind of, I think Jay, you put this really well in the forum, kind of fooling Gatti into the, the positioning to get himself an open shot on goal. So yeah, maybe Jay, break down that goal for me. Just how impressed were you with the response by the team? Yeah, um, as you said, uh, I was probably a bit pessimistic uh, in my reaction after conceding that goal, especially the way we conceded. It just felt avoidable, just felt a bit idiotic. Um, but what can you say? Uh, I, I didn't feel like we had the the metal, the mentality, or the kind of nerve to just play as if nothing had happened and immediately hit back. Uh, but that's exactly what we did. Good link-up play from or along the right flank. I think the commentator said there was only like three or four passes in that in that entire uh, passage. You know, from Soma to Damien to Barella to or Soma, sorry, Soma Damien uh, Dumfries Barella to Taram and then Lautaro. So you know, it was just a efficient goal in the extreme. Um, and as you said, the, for me, the highlight was. Lautaro's movement kind of veering to the left and then just jinking in towards the right, completely fold Gatti, opens and opens himself up for a, a nice shot along the face of goal and into that far corner. It was the kind of beautiful finish I've been, you know, wanting to see more from Lautaro for, for a long time, you know, just a lot of poise, a lot of uh, awareness in how he wants to finish rather than this instinctive just catching uh you know, or snatching at the ball, you know, and just kind of lashing his foot out uh, at full power. So what can you say? Just really, really uh, well done to Lautaro and Taram as well. Um, just to speak on their goal, I agree that uh, Defry was kind of caught in no man's land. Um, I also think the guys were a bit too reverent of, uh, of Chiesa there. They didn't want to challenge him, you know. They were holding off, holding off, expecting him to kind of run at them and, you know, uh, try to like dribble through them or something. But instead he just, you know, stayed very uh, traditional, shall I say, and just stayed out wide and just uh, hooked it in with his left foot on the left flank. So you got to account for that as well. And considering we had two men on him, Damian and Barella, I think one of them has got to go in and actually like challenge him or get within essentially within touching distance of him. So you make it difficult, you know, rather than just both guys staying like a meter to two meters away from him and just kind of zoning him out. That's yeah. Especially when you have two defenders on him, I don't think that's really acceptable. So all in all, um, I guess both goals were very similar if you think about it. Uh, but yeah, what can I say? Um, really pleased the guys came back from conceding a goal with a response within like six minutes. So let's uh, let's hope for more of that in the future. It felt like we were not inferior to Juventus, you know. Um, I, to be honest, I actually think you're giving them a little bit too much credit when you say it was kind of like Sociedad where they overwhelmed us or they were really, you know, playing at a high tempo. I thought, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from, but I think in comparison, like Sociedad were on another level. Like if if Sociedad dad played at like a 10 out of 10 intensity, I felt like Juve were no more than like a six and a half, barely seven at times. I don't think they were really comparable. I just feel like the game itself was a bit pedestrian for the first, you know, 25 minutes. And I felt like we kind of got 
suckered into that trap of just being a little bit complacent ourselves. Uh, you know, like I said last week, Juventus have this great ability just to drag you down to their to their level and then kind of catch you unaware. So I felt that's what kind of happened to us. And as you said, they did attack, but and and even that was, you know, the commentator mentioned uh, being surprised at how. Juve was sort of attacking against us being, you know, the the strongest team in the league or one of the strongest team in the league, whereas they are much more kind of careful against these, you know, Cagliari-type teams. Um, and, yeah, the, the commentator was kind of remarking on on that kind of oddity and I noticed it too. But, yeah, I feel, I feel like we just gave him a bit too much credit to Juve, you know, so that's my take. Yeah, I think one of the things, I mean, yeah, I don't think that they're nearly as effective as uh, Real Sociedaddy, um, as you put it. Uh, but I think one thing that re- that was that reminded me of that match was, you know, I think one of the things we really like to do is, yes, we cycle in the back a lot with um, Summer and then our center backs. We also really like to kind of cycle through the midfield um, to, like, you know, bring the play kind of in, bring the defense in, and then lob it outside to the wingers and. Juve were just like not allowing us to do that. Like the they were pressing the midfield in such a way that like we couldn't really get the ball past the midfield out into the kind of attacking wings. And so taking that space away, I think reminded me a little bit of the Real Sociedad match. Um, on, on our goal, the one thing that I thought was really interesting, and I think some of the commentators on the U.S. side were commenting on this, is that um, you know they were surprised that Juventus was a little reckless on that play in the sense that uh, Rugani, Rugani really kind of like left his position, ran up into the midfield to try to challenge Barella, and Barella had that great kind of one-touch pass, um, you know, to play in Taram. And that interchange right there completely took Rugani out of the picture. Like, he was nowhere to be found at that point. And it opened up like a kind of 2v2 um, with uh, Gatti and... Um, uh, I forgot who the other defender was, but then uh, Taram and Lotaro, and so that that was kind of that lack of discipline from Rugani, or that little gamble by Rugani, you know, ended up being kind of our best and only shot, um, and that's something that you typically wouldn't see from an Allegri side. Like you would expect the players to kind of stay um, much more disciplined. So I think we got a little lucky there. I mean, we obviously executed really well, but. Um, he completely took himself out of the play um, and and put the defense um, in shambles because of it. So, you know, good good for us to like do the quick movement to open that up. But that's the one thing I noticed uh, on our goal. Um, so yeah, but again, I, I'm with you, Jay. I felt like, you know, I, I I'm not complaining at all about the result because a we we came back after we were down. Um, but I think what surprised me was when you look at the players that Juventus had on the pitch. Like, to me, they just, you know, either we were too cautious and we were totally happy with the draw throughout, or we just gave them way too much respect because you, you look at those names and you're just like, you know, we should be able to, we should be able to handle these guys. So after you go into halftime, I thought the complexion of the game completely changed in the second half and where I was willing to give Juve a lot of credit for how they came out and maybe asserted themselves in the first half. In the second half, I really thought they stopped playing. They didn't have a shot on goal in the second half. They began to sit back deeper, concede possession. And to maybe Jay's point from the top of the episode, 
there's a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth after that second half because we were definitely the stronger team. We, in my opinion, we we played not our best, but we played we outplayed them at least. And I'm, I'm content walking away with a point, but I thought based on how we played in the second half, you can argue we deserve to win this game and maybe we should have won this game. Uh, Miko, what, what are your thoughts? Do, are you content with the draw or do you agree that the game was kind of there for the taking? Uh, well, I think I'm, I'm content with the draw because, yeah, we were better than you were in the second half, but it wasn't like we were able to create too much. Did we create like any proper chances in the second half? I don't. I don't remember. We we did. There wasn't. There wasn't any space. Nothing like in in our goal. Not, nothing like that anymore in the second half. It was like true allegory terrorist football in the second half, and they just like closed the shop, and we just couldn't couldn't break in. So I, I felt like mm, Allegri forced the draw and we just didn't want to risk to like like uh put more more men on the on the box or anything like that to get that try to get that goal and then risk risk some counter with KSR or or Kane or or something like that. I I feel that Inzaghi also wanted to like secure at least the draw and not not give like definitely not not give the three points to Juve so it, it felt like Inzaghi was happy that okay we, we got at least the draw so don't guys risk anything and that that truly looked like that because it was just cycling in the back and we we tried we tried all kinds of stuff trying to like lure Lure you were players out of their positions, but it wasn't it wasn't gonna happen. So I feel I think, like mm, yeah, I feel like the game was kind of decided in the first half. It really reminded me of like a like a boxing match or something where both fighters didn't want to get knocked out. They're just happy to uh, again rather than going for the knockout, just score points by landing soft jabs from the outside. You know what I mean? And just maintaining a distance. Um, yeah. As Andrew said, the second half, uh, the complexion of the game was entirely different in the second half, and it felt like the te- uh, it felt like both teams kind of felt each other out on the first half. And once we decided, or once both teams decided, yeah, they're pretty strong. I don't want to get you know, I don't want to lose. Essentially, I don't want to risk getting knocked out. Then they just kind of you know, you know, you see this sometimes. There was like an unspoken <laughs> kind of agreement to not really try that hard and not really push the envelope and that's where my uh if there is any regret or disappointment for me that's where it lies um you know i really feel like we could have risked a little bit more pushed the pace a little bit harder as andrew said some of the names that they have man like gatti brugani cambiaso like uh nicolucci guy was that his debut or something you know and, and mckenny these are not <laughs> these are not especially good players and sure allegri deserves credit for turning them into a solid unit, but even still, I feel like we didn't take the opportunity to kind of exploit individual superiority either. You know, like I wanted to see DeMarco running at uh, Cambiasso and, and Gatti, and I wanted to see, uh, you know, us take advantage of Rigani. The one time we did was um, 
was when we scored. But other than that, we didn't have much opportunity to dribble at them. And the fact that they played this random uh, Nicolucci guy at, you know, a critical position at DM, like we didn't pressure him enough. He, he kind of made some unforced errors too, you know. He's, like there's a reason they took him off for a barely fit Locatelli. So, yeah, you know, I would, I would have liked to see us kind of pressure him harder, force more errors, steal the ball from him and all that kind of thing. But, yeah, like I said, we just kind of made a unspoken agreement with Juve to, to not go too hard and just walk away with a point each. And hopefully we don't uh, – we're not that charitable in the in the return fixture. The, the one player who I thought caused the most problems to Juve was actually Quadrado, who – at the end of the match, especially in the last five, 10 minutes, he, he made a difference. Um, he, he had a interesting yellow card within five minutes of coming on, but then he was able to draw a yellow card, ca- a yellow card tackle from Kostic on what would have been a dangerous counter. He put in one or two dangerous balls. He drew a nice foul. I forget which defender he worked himself around, but he drew a nice foul that led to him th- putting a free kick into the box in kind of the dying minutes. And I honestly thought he was more productive than Dumfries on the night. Dumfries had a bit of an uncharacteristically poor game. Irfan, I know you're a big Quadrado fan. What do you think of his return to the team? Dude, I, I, I have to say, <laughs> I have to say he, he honestly earned my respect today. Like, uh, he, like you said, he, for, he came in and initially he got that yellow card and I was like, all right, please. Let's not go into like some kind of self sabotage mode here, where you're gonna hand Juve something. But he he battled and and he was he was up for it. He was aggressive. He was getting viciously booed like every time he would touch the ball, uh, whistled and uh. But but he you're right. I mean he he was direct. He was he was aggressive. I, I loved the way he played. I loved how how just you know how aggressive he was and how interested he he was in making a difference in the limited time that he had that I'll remember that, that kind of shoulder to shoulder he had with Keen where Keen was just like running right at him and he just held his ground and they both kind of just like went after each other. Uh, and then they had some words after that too. And he earned a, earned a free kick there. But yeah, that was, that was impressive. I have to admit. Um, and you can tell like he has great control on the ball. You know, his positioning is fine. Um, he's always looking to, to create an attack. And, you know, again, I, I, in the match today, he earned, um, a lot of my respect and I feel like I'm almost somewhat excited to see him, you know, get some more minutes in, in situations where we kind of need a spark to, to go get a goal. Because like you mentioned, Dumfries today was fairly poor. Um, and I thought DeMarco again today was fairly poor. So it was nice. It was a nice switch when Quadrado and Augusto came on. I thought Augusto played pretty well too. Very solid, more solid um, kind of defensively and tactically than, than DeMarco was. So both of those guys on the pitch were, was nice, but I was, I was extremely surprised. And like you mentioned, I'm someone who has no love lost for Quadrado. He irritates me to my core and yet I couldn't help but respect him after today. Yeah. He, he drew like, like four, four fouls. In the game, and that was the most, most, and he played like what, what did he play like twenty minutes or fifteen minutes? I don't know. So that was pretty impressive. He was all over the place. 
and I like his his crosses, his his uh, shooting technique or all kicking the ball. It's it's so pure, well compared to someone like Dumfries, for instance. So I I'm also excited to see him see him play later, maybe against Benfica. Yeah, just on that, Quadrado's. I mean. <laughs> He's just a much more technical player than Dumfries and a lot more ambitious as well, you know. I think that uh, conservatism just really can get really tiresome with Dumfries. I mean, it was I, – I, my mind just goes back to that Champions League final where we had like a three-on-two with Dumfries and there was a player, you know, and like we dragged – or he dragged the defender out to the flank. And again, even though we had a three-on-two, because there was a defender within like, you know – within 10 meters in front of him is like, oh shit, that means I can't proceed, you know, and just kind of stop dead past, you know, 180 degrees backwards to the goalkeeper. That that kind of uh, tendency he has, well, I used to say about uh, D'Ambrosio, and I think the, sa- the same is uh, true of Dumfries. Sometimes these guys, they play as if a training cone would be enough to stop them from, you know, from, from taking advantage, you know, and that's the exact exact opposite of Quadrado. He's got a man in front of him. He's constantly thinking, how can I beat him? I'm going to run at him. I'm going to run past him, knock the ball past him and try to, you know, just get past this obstacle and and put the ball in. Sometimes he'll just uh, try to bend across around, you know, around the defender. But like I said, some of these guys, like they do my head in Dumfries, D'Ambrosio. If there's even a a training cone on the ground, they're like, nah, I I don't want to risk it, you know? And that, like I said, that just irritates me immensely so yeah. having that option like Cadrado is is super valuable um but yeah i still think that jury's out he needs to be available that that's that's a starting point he needs to be fit and available yeah it's kind of, it's kind of like a swagger it's like the it's like in basketball if you're a player who just he thinks every shot he takes is going in Quadrado just has that utmost confidence in himself where like, he's like, I got this bro. And he's willing to go out and take chance. And it, sometimes it doesn't work out, but when it does work out, you're like, wow, this is great technique. Yeah. And I I feel like Taram has some of that same mentality when, when he's playing (laughs) forward, which has been surprising. I think for me, not knowing that much about him, Um, you know, he, he also is not somebody who, who's shy to take on the defender. He looks, he, he, he kind of like thrives on, getting in close and like muscling someone out or trying to take on somebody or dribbling through like two players. Like, you know, it's one of the, like, what's that like quote where like you miss like hundred percent of the shots you don't take or whatever. So I feel like what Jay and what you're saying, Andrew is so true. It's like a lot of these guys probably have the ability, whether it's speed technique, um, you know, whatever, like vision, they have the ability to, to, to take on their player or to open up that extra space or, to you know, uh, disrupt the defense a little bit more than they do, and yet they kind of choose not to do it a lot of times. Uh, and I agree, Dumfries is very guilty of that. Sometimes I feel like even Demarco gets into that mentality where he's really kind of afraid to do anything other than just like run up one side and try to lob a cross in. And that that kind of mentality, when you have players that can break that kind of mentality, I, I feel like that's super important. And whether it's off the bench or whether it's somebody starting like Taram. I feel like we've benefited a lot this year from that type of play where in previous years we haven't had those players. Um, so I think that's been helpful. The one curious thing that I was just trying to make sense of in my head, like I know all of us, we've talked about, you know, how a draw away is not a bad result and, 
you know, uh, Allegri's terrorist football and this, like, but Jay alluded to it. You, you look at their midfield, right? They had this Nicolau guy, they had McKinney and they had Rabio. And I could not for the life of me say that we were the better midfield today overall. I, I mean, I thought Mkhitaryan had a fairly poor game. Uh, Barella was okay. Hakan was okay. Barella had a really nice moment and a couple of nice moments, but but I, I can't figure out why whenever we play Juventus, maybe it's the way they're tactically set up or the way Allegri just just kind of like manages the team. But I can't seem to like figure out what it is that always makes us look like we're just getting bossed in the midfield, especially when you have players that you know individually are not good. I mean, McKinney's not a great player. And this this other guy, this other young kid, like I'm sure he has potential, but the way that they perform today, even Rabio always plays well against us, and he's decent uh, as a midfielder overall. But still, like you don't feel like we should be kind of outmatched in the midfield, and yet for some reason, whenever we play them, including today, our midfield doesn't look like it's superior um, than theirs. And I can't figure out like what it is that they're doing tactically. Um, or otherwise, that makes it that way. Maybe they're just more physical. I don't know if you all have a view on that. I think it's because uh, Allegri, I, I feel like Allegri emphasizes uh, to like stack the midfield in a sense that that uh, you need to take the space out of their midfield. And then they just like... A, play well as a team to defend that midfield so that the opponent's midfield cannot do its things. Like, we, we couldn't do much in our midfield today because there was no space. And our midfield is not like a super technical, like super, super technical who can do stuff in very tight spaces. So I think that's maybe part of the thing why why we couldn't like with with our on the paper superior midfield couldn't like do better than this but maybe it was also because they weren't like willing to take risks or or they were instructed not to take any risks uh, i feel like that's that's the that's the thing in this game that <laughs> no player was was uh was allowed to take too many risks so <laughs> it was like like we saw this is how, a bit how of a side note. yeah sorry i was gonna say this is a bit of a side note but i just can't fathom we live in a world where rabio is capped cap the captain of juventus in a derby like it just doesn't compute in my brain how this is even possible but no i, I agree i think it's allegory's tactics of it, it's a compressed unit. They have, for the most part, they're sitting a little deeper. They're close to the defenders. That to your point, Irfan, they're a bit stronger than ours, and we we were never able to get really comfortable on the ball. I think you saw quite a few instances where we we're making poor passes, whether it be backwards, laterally. We were kind of playing ourselves into danger and then out of it. And I'm going to chalk it up to their just physical presence, quickly closing down on us, forcing us to make decisions. And when you have players like ours who aren't 
overly technical, I'd say, in the midfield. When you make them to when you force them to make quick decisions, they tend to take the safer option. And that's why we ended up going backwards more than forwards for a good chunks of today's match. Jay, I want to get your opinion because I know this was one of your fears going to the match. I thought the referee had a really strong game and I really don't have many qualms with the decisions he made. He thought he let us play. Vlahovic was diving quite a bit. There was a shoulder-to-shoulder against, was it a Cherby maybe, um, that he was like incessant on a foul for. The referee made the right decision. So just any thoughts there? I mean, clearly nothing came to fruition that cost us the match. Um, For once, following a match against Juventus, we have almost nothing to, you know... um, criticize the referees for which is a welcome change uh, no controversies to speak of I think I recall the incidents you're referring to um, I mean there was like one uh, one kind of coming together on the si- near the sidelines that I thought was uh, that I thought we got a bit lucky uh, not to get penalized for uh, which would have given Juventus uh, you know free kick in a dangerous area but yeah, honestly, other than that, like, I cannot think of a single incident where I, I, you know, which left me, which left me cursing the ref, which is normally the case when we play uh, this this crowd. So, yeah, I'm ready to question the Quadrado yellow card. Was he? <laughs> Unlike picture and definitely in the in the replay, I thought that he touched the ball first, but did he like touch Kostic's foot for before hitting it's the ball? Probably just the probably just the follow through and like the overall kind of you know uh, he really you know swung into that challenge at kind of full pelt to win the ball. So uh, these days yeah. it seems like even if you do win the ball, you can't really just swing your leg at. You know, full power. You can't put that much weight behind any challenge these days. So I, I yeah. guess that's why. All right, let, let's transition to talking about our midweek fixture coming up against Benfica. We have a road Champions League game. A lot at stake here as we fight for first in the group. Obviously, Sociedad are running through the competition. We need to do our part here and get a win to set up a decisive fixture with Sociedad in the sixth match week. The, the the reason I'm concerned for this match has little to do with Benfica, but it has more to do with the news that broke today or yesterday, maybe, about Sanchez's injury. Sanchez is hurt. Sanchez is unavailable, which means we're back down to three strikers. Arnautovic played for maybe five minutes today against Juve, and I think you, it's a safe assumption that he's going to start this midweek over Taram, and we'll save Taram for the Napoli fixture. So that, that's one area of concern. Otherwise, I mean, Benfica have just been horrible in Europe this year. We've talked about this previously in the podcast. They're not producing results. They're It's very unlikely, but they're, they're playing horribly. So you, you expect a result. You, you expect a win here, especially based on the way the Champions League has gone to this point. But something about going away in this fixture has to be a little concerning, right? In, in this away fixture last year in the knockout rounds, we did not play great. And I think it took a, was it a late Lukaku goal to really pull away and gives us, give ourselves an advantage. So it, it's a difficult place to play. Irfan, any thoughts as we head into Benfica? 
Yeah, I think you're you're exactly right. My biggest concern going into this match is just kind of anticipating the level of uh, rotation that we're going to see because, you know, we're pretty light on the back line right now with Pavard out and Bastoni injured. So there isn't that much we can change around. Maybe we'll see a Bissek start again. Um, but also on the forward line with Sanchez being unavailable, Arnautovic not looking great when he does play so far other than his first match with us. Um, I'm a little concerned about what we'll see in terms of rotation, especially given that we're playing Napoli uh, away um, next. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how um, Inzaghi views this. Like, you know, does he play a little more conservatively here and, he's okay with like a draw or maybe additional rotation risking the result because, you know, worst case scenario, we go in and we take on and beat uh Sociedad at home or does he, uh, you know, stay true to kind of his uh, cup, cup, uh, cup winning ways and put out a strong team with minimal rotation and then kind of roll the dice to have that team come out again and play against Napoli. So uh, that's the thing that I think is going to be the most interesting for me. Uh, obviously, if we were going in with our kind of pure A squad, I think we would fairly easily get a good result. Um, but now, with so much other kind of factors to balance, um, it'll be interesting to see what we do. But the team itself, Benefica, like you mentioned, is not particularly concerning. They they don't not not only have they not gotten great results, they haven't looked particularly good at all either. And so we really should have an advantage, even if we are playing away. Um, but again, it's a Champions League, you never know, and who knows what kind of rotation we'll see. So those are the things that concern me. I think we should like do a full full rotation as much as possible, because uh, the logic is that we can draw this game because we need to win Sociedad at home anyway. Even if we win uh, against Benfica, and then assumption is that Sociedad wins Salzburg, so we need to win anyway Sociedad because they have better goal difference and I I I can feel that they will have a better goal difference after the round five as well. So we need to win them anyway at home. So the draw is okay for this Benfica match. That's my logic. You you really have to avoid a loss, I think is what you're saying, which which is a fair point. Jay, what you were gonna say Benfica have one goal so far in the Champions League. Yeah, they've got one goal so far in four games. Um, so this is like a historically bad uh, Champions League showing for them. Uh, all their, you know, um, all their flair players just aren't bringing it this time around. And I don't know if they're going to prioritize the league because they're neck and neck tied with uh, Sporting at the top of the Portuguese league table. So maybe they'll, they'll also rotate given that this game is, you know, they're already out of the champions league. So I guess, you know, who knows what they're thinking. Maybe they'll play a weaker side just to prioritize the league, or maybe they'll want to secure Europa league uh, ahead of, ahead of Salzburg. But yeah, as Andrew said, we just need to avoid the loss and go into the last game with a chance to beat Sociedad because, or rather, with the um, with the freshness to beat Sociedad because getting that um, that first place seed or whatever you call it, you know, um, 
finishing top of the group is is very important for our progression and for our finances. So yeah, let's let's beat Benfica. I think we can do it even if we rotate. Um just on that, I think that's actually a great segue to our defense. Like Cherby today was a little bit annoying. I felt like his passing was even more conservative than usual when he's playing at that left center back position. I mean, it is, you know, a way to Juventus. So maybe that uh, played a role as well. I played, um, or that had a factor in him being even, yeah, uh, just, just more conservative, but I don't know, man. Uh, I, no one likes a chubby at left center back, but it was always like, you know, acceptable for the most part. I think today was one of the first times where I was like, oh, Jesus, just enough of this, you know, like, like we have to find an alternative, whether it's whether it's Augusto or Bisek or even Damian, I don't know. But I just, yeah, today was the first time that I really felt like I do not want to see a Chirby at left center back ever again. I'm just yeah. surprised we haven't tried Augusto at left center back yet. I know we don't have any other options at left wing back besides him and DeMarco and maybe... The thought is you, DeMarco can't play 90 minutes every match, but I'm just surprised. Like, why not put him in at left center back for a start when you sub off DeMarco at the 60-minute mark, push him up to wing back where you should have some energy left. Defenders tend to run less than other positions. And then if we're trying to lock things down, then you can put on a Cherubi or something. It's just a little puzzling to me because a Cherubi is such a poor fit at left center back, especially when you play teams with wingers or pace yeah and i think um like today he was, he was very acute in his um passing like he was standing on the left flank and his he was facing like he had his body turned towards summer for example and or defry right he'd be facing them kind of in a very front-on stance and when they'd pass to him before even kind of looking you know opening his body, turning his body outwards to see what the passing avenues were or what the pressing situation was like. He just one touch it straight back to Defry, you know, and he kept doing that over and over again, which was, like I said, frustrating um, as the, you know, the wider of the center backs, you, you need to be able to kind of make things happen down the flank, which is exactly how we scored our goal, right? Summer to Damien to, to Dumfries, um, but what if Damien's standing there literally facing Summer dead on? He can't pass to, Dum- uh, to Dumfries in that situation. And that's just how uh, a Cherby tends to play, uh, at least when we're kind of trying to build out from the back sometimes. And he makes those runs forward, which is commendable, but it seems like, well, the team just doesn't trust him to really make anything of it. So he'll make that run forward, make that overlapping run, but no one ever picks him out. Whereas people do uh, make an effort to play Bastoni in when he goes for that overlapping run because they know that Bastoni's uh, left foot can lead to, you know, um, or can lead to assists and and uh, making those good plays. But Cherby just likes the technique, likes the vision, uh, likes the finesse and the speed and, I think we have a big detriment to our to the way that we want to play uh, with a Cherby in that position. So, like I said, I, I really, really want to see us find an alternative uh, there. And personally, I hope it's Bisek. I mean, we have this young resource, and you know, 
if today's game against Juventus showed, like, what, what's the worst thing that could happen? They started some random, I, I don't mean, I'm, I was going to say 17, but I don't even know how old this Nicolucci kid is because today was the first time I'd ever heard of him in my life. Um, they played him starting in a Derby d'Italia. They came away, you know, more or less fine. Like, 1 1 is fine. What's the worst that can happen, you know? Like, Bissek is a more experienced player uh, than this Nicolucci kid. So, like, what's the worst that can happen? Just play him. Um, just to wrap up on the idea of playing DiMarco and Augusto together with Augusto as centre back, I think. That's just, you know, kind of standard Inzaghi conservatism there, like not using your two left backs at the same time. You know what I mean? What happens if, a cho- uh, what happens if, um, you know, DeMarco gets injured or what happens if Augusto gets injured? You can't bring one of them off the bench, you know, if you've got both of them on the pitch together. So it's probably just, uh, yeah, kind of conservative management of resources, which is more uh, reason to use Bissek there. I'm sympathetic towards it only because we are in such a dire straits when it comes to injuries right now. Like it's, it's tough. There's not much depth left in defense or attack. So I, I, I'm somewhat understanding of that arguments. I just think back to his first year here when he insisted on playing DeMarco as a left center back and occasionally moved him to wing back when Perisic came off it. Tactically, I think this could work from an injury standpoint to get your arguments. So, honestly, I think that's really all there is to discuss on Benfica. Maybe we can do some match predictions before we move ahead and talk about Napoli. Irfan, if you want to kick us off. Yeah, so tough because there's so many different things that can happen given the lineup that we'll play. But um, I'll predict a... uh, I'll predict a 1-1 draw, actually, on this one for us. Um, I don't usually predict draws for us, but I'll go 1-1 draw. Miko? Uh, I'm going to go 0-1. We're going to win. We're going to find the goal somewhere. Get the three points. Jay? Yeah, I'm feeling a draw as well, to be honest. Um, I just can't remember the last time we played a Champions League campaign where we did some, you know, Bayern type shit, getting like 16 points or whatever. We just don't do that. You know what I mean? So uh, we're usually, we're, we're, we're usually big fans of the 2-2-2 kind of Champions League campaign. You know what I mean? The 2-2-2 group stage, classic eight points kind of thing, nine points. Uh, so, you know, we're already well ahead of that. Um, so yeah, I have difficulty seeing us, yeah, just smashing it and getting like five wins and a draw or something like that. So, I wouldn't be surprised to see the last two matches uh, come down to a draw. Um, so yeah, I'm going. I'm going draw on this one as well, especially considering that we're likely to rotate, or at least I hope we rotate to an extent. Um, you know, I, I think Aslani should start, which is ridiculous for me to say. Um, love it, love but, it. But you gotta, you gotta kind of. Um, <laughs> Just manage your resources carefully here. Uh, I've I've been saying for ages that this Juventus and this Napoli were there for the taking. Hence my you know uh, regret at not getting the win against Juventus, especially considering how little they really you know worried us in the second half. Right, but Napoli's the same. Um, they're you know right now they're in chaos. Um, 
with two ridiculous management choices. Um, and point is, I want to see us go there and stamp our authority and win. You know, we can't. I don't like. I don't like looking at in terms of like, our oh, San Paolo's been or, or the the Diego Maradona has always been a you know traditionally difficult ground for us. Or you know, we've only won once in our last fourteen visits to to Juventus Stadium. Like, who gives a shit? Like, look at the players they're putting out and, and tell me that we can't beat them. You know what I mean? Uh, furthermore, look at the way they're playing and how little they even bothered us in the second half and tell me that we can't, you know, beat that. Same applies for Napoli. I want to see us go to Napoli and I want to see us win. Therefore, um, let's rotate the bag here against Benfica and just do what we need to as long as we don't lose. And even if we do lose, you know, if we do lose, that kind of sets the stage for, I mean, let's just say hypothetically we lose here against Benfica. Is that more impetus to put out the best side against so see that in the last match that we win, or is it, uh, you know, more reason to kind of just throw the last match? If we lose to, let, let me just think through tiebreakers here. If we lose to Benfica and Sociedad, Benfica, assuming assuming Sociedad smash, uh, yeah, if they beat Salzburg, yeah, so that, we're Salzburg down five Yeah, then we're down three points going to the last match. Now. Is the tiebreaker head-to-head at that point? So if we beat Sociedad, we're through with like 13 points apiece? Or is the tiebreaker goal differential? I would assume it's head-to-head, but I'm not positive. I thought it was goal difference. This is the kind of thing Miko uh, is Yeah, yeah Miko, you're the on. expert on this. Yeah, it's uh, it's the head-to-head. So actually, we can, we can even lose to Benfica as long as we win Sociedad at home. So there is no reason to try to win this game against Benfica <laughs> is what I'm hearing because no matter yeah, what happens, yeah. we just need to beat Sociedad. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, there you go. Play, play Agume and Klaassen then. Let, let's just yeah, do that. That's what I'm saying. Like, it starts young Sarf. Like, if the what you're saying is true, <laughs> then there is truly no... If what you're saying is true, then it doesn't matter what happens against Benfica because Sociedad have... We need yeah, to beat Sociedad. That's the only it, way we're through. <laughs> yeah, goal difference doesn't matter. They can they can destroy Salzburg fifteen nil for all we give a shit as long as we beat them on the last day. And well, yeah, we finish the group top. Or unless they unless they draw or lose against um, Salzburg, Salzburg, then a then a draw might be enough for us, right? Um, against them, so that's the only marginal incentive. But I, I agree. Like on on this. On a pure analysis, like kind of basis, like yeah, there's not much for us in this match. We have to, we have to go into the home fixture against Sociedad and just beat them. Okay, I confirmed head-to-head results is the tiebreaker. So, yeah, and to that effect, you know, uh, like I said, the focus is um, Napoli. You know, like I said, I don't care if away at Naples is a traditionally difficult ground. Well, you know, Na- Napoli have been untraditionally shit this season. <laughs> and they are right there for the taking. It's an opportunity. They're vulnerable. And that should have more weight to us. That should have more importance to us than, oh, you know, San Paolo is a difficult place to go. No, Inzaghi should be saying these guys are, uh, you know, in a difficult situation right now. They're right for the taking. Let's go exploit that and, and win. And so, yeah, if that informs the way we uh, roll out, against Benfica then so be it like we established if anything now I want to lose the match uh, more than anything you know while playing Saar and Agume and Stankovic or whatever so 
yeah, let, let's just see some some smart rotation here is, is is the you know is the point. No more Mikatarian for ninety minutes, please, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But fucking Sanchez injured again. That's that's such a cheeky Aldero start. We're gonna see that. (laughs) Go for it. Go for it. Play Aldero. I'm serious. I've always said Aldero is nowhere near as bad as Interfans kind of think he is. So play Aldero. Um give Bisek another another start. Play S90 for 90 minutes for once. And Carson's been, you know, um Biting his Clausen's, t- you know, hair transplant is looking fantastic. It's ready for public kind of display. You know, it's ready to be seen out there without a hat on. So, yeah, let's. Yeah. let's... And, I, and I have been saying summer does look tired. I can see it in his leg movements. Exactly. Exactly. So, uh, all right. Well, I'm going to take. Uh, we got some group think going on. I think you've talked me in, into predicting a zero zero draw. But yeah, start start for Tazy. Start as Lonnie. <laughs> Start an Altovich, start a Gusto, just start Quadrado, assuming he has 45 minutes in him. Just put all the reserves in. We've got nothing to lose here and get ready for Nap- a Napoli. Exactly. So on that note, Napoli, brutal fixture list, man. My uh, <laughs> my dad was over watching the UVA match with me and he asked the somewhat joking question, are we even going to bother going back to Milano before this Benfica match we're, we're living out of a hotel for this week, it seems. So uh, off to play Napoli next weekend. Our old friends, Walter is back managing Napoli. I can't believe Mazzari is managing a game in 2023, but that's probably besides the points. It's probably a bad news for us, honestly, because Rudy Garcia is such a horrible manager and such an obviously poor decision by De Laurentiis, that's, it's kind of unfortunate we don't get the privilege of playing him. But we go to Napoli. Napoli also have European competition. Let me see. I don't actually know if they're playing this week or not, or if they have the week off. Napoli have Real Madrid on Wednesday. So they're... Let me just look at this situation real quick. to do. So Napoli... Are playing Real same time as us. Same time as us. Same time as us, and they are they are not quite safe in their group. So there there was a scenario where they they need a point in this game. But I will say, just given it's an away match against Real, I'd imagine they're not going to try very hard to win, and they're going to basically try to get the job done in their last Champions League match against a pretty poor Braga team. So. Napoli should be rested. If we talk about Napoli's performance in the league this year, like this is definitely not the same Napoli we saw last year. It's considerably more up and down. They're not scoring goals at a very prolific clip. Their defense has been surprisingly okay. I, I think to me, my big takeaway with them is like their wingers are not as good as they were last year. The guy from Georgia, whose name I wouldn't even pretend I know how to pronounce has not been good for almost a year now, in my opinion. And really their best player, based on performances I've seen from them this year, I honestly think their best player has been Politano. Uh-oh, I knew that was coming. You knew it was coming. It's, it's the homerism in me. Just, I love a former Inter player. But yeah, it, they have not impressed me. I think Politano has been their best player. And the, I understand going and playing Napoli away is a difficult fixture, but this is a winnable game like this is not 
a super competitive Napoli team. And honestly, for me, my biggest concern is I just don't know what to expect when you're playing. Is this Mazzari's first match or he's already played a match? Regardless, you're playing a manager who's new. Usually teams get a bit of a dead cap bounce following that. And it's just a bit of a wild card factor for me. So that's probably the part of this I'm most worried about. Um, Irfan, tell me why Politano is not going to score against us. <laughs> uh, no, I, you, while you were talking, I was thinking the same thing that Politano has probably been among their, their best players. It's, it's come to that point where like, you know, he's, he's such a one trick pony, but it's such a great trick. And so it's one of those things where you know what he's going to try to do and you know what he's going to most likely do. And yet he does it and he's able to pull it off with more regularity than I think anyone would want to admit. So I, I agree with you overall. Um, and then Osimhen's still injured for them, right? So like that's, he's not going to play. Um, no, and so, he's not, yeah. he's not injured anymore. He, oh, he's he played not, against so. he, he played against, against Alalanza, unfortunately oh. for All us. Right, well, yeah. He, um, he he's probably like the biggest, obviously, like danger for us. But um, yeah, I you know we this is one I, I kind of go back to what Jay was saying, which is yeah, historically it's a tough fixture. Um, it's a tough place to play. I mean, they're they're the defending champions, but there's just so much. There's just so much more to the story than just looking on a piece of paper and saying it's Napoli away and they won the championship last year. So there really is no reason for us not to win. And I think unlike playing against Juventus, I think we're going to be in a pretty good situation in this match to kind of play our game. I, I don't feel like Napoli can can prevent us from playing the way we like to play, which I think Juventus was able to do. So I expect us to play pretty well. Um, I just, you know, Palatano and uh, the Georgian guy who I also will not try to pronounce, Kavara, is as far as I'll go, and then uh, Osimhen are probably kind of the dangers. Obviously, they ha- Napoli also have a good midfield, so we're, I'm not taking anything away from the quality of the team. Uh, but really, it's it's a, it's the fixture that like we should go out and, and and win and stamp our authority in and and play really well, especially especially if we're able to do a little bit of uh, um, resting against Benfica uh, when we play them this this during the middle of the week the one thing that concerns me and i know jay mentioned it a little bit we talked about it but you know we've talked a little bit about how so far this year um demarco hasn't been that great in the last couple of matches notwithstanding the uh, wonder goal that you just had to be in the stadium to witness really the glory of it uh i will say that uh, demarco has not looked that great either and i think part of the reason is that he he does miss bastoni and bastoni for this year hasn't been that great either. So I think that entire side is, is struggling a little bit and, and Bastoni definitely gives us a much better chance in kind of the buildup on that left side that will sometimes allow DeMarco to get some space and free up. And uh, you know, a Cherby just doesn't do that. So that's one kind of offensive, uh, you know, kind of game plan. I think that we rely on quite a bit that just hasn't been there recently. Um, and so that's the one thing that concerns me on the kind of offensive side of the ball, which is we're not really getting the best out of DeMarco um, because of because of that uh, situation. And I feel like this would have been a good match had Bastoni been there for Bastoni and DeMarco to kind of dominate um, that uh, that side. So 
I'll see kind of how that plays out. But but I agree. It's it's a match that we should go in and win. If we get a draw, I don't think it's the end of the world. But I, you know, I think it'd be a disappointment if we don't win. Okay, it's it's Guarachkeria, uh, the name. Uh, but about the about the no, yeah, match... one more time, slowly for me. Guarachkeria. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm just gonna call him Smith. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, let's call him Boy I George. You... <laughs> I think you guys are very, very like demanding to like expect a win and nothing else, because. If the record says that okay, we haven't won there apart from what what was it? One game in past fourteen times was it that much? That that sounds like a. I think there's a reason for that because Napoli hasn't been like that great in all those years. So I think oh, that, that, that was us. That was us traveling to Juve. Ah, okay, okay. Oh, also, winning the last point, Walter Mazzari is their manager. <laughs> okay, but but anyway, we haven't been like great there. I remember one match, one match we won. There was Lautar and Lukaku scoring goals. That that's that's the one away win I remember. But I think we haven't been like great there, and the stadium plays a big part in that. But uh, but uh, apart from that, I also think that we have a good chance to win that match. Because Napoli won't play like you were players, so they will. They probably will uh, give us space in their defensive zone, and we will hopefully exploit that. We should just play pretty conservative in in terms of like not not giving them any space because Oshiman is back now, and well, I don't know what's his form. I didn't watch the. Atalanta match, but but he's he's fast, and we don't have proper rotation in our defense. Our Cherubi was mentioned already; he's not great there. So so, Bissek uh, is pretty fast, isn't he? Yeah, but he's Bissek, and he has like ten minutes experience in Serie A. So come on, man! You, you saw, like I said, you saw we saw Nicolucci. Uh, you know, and <laughs> yeah, but something about like that name just yeah, but he's Italian. He, he's played in in Italy, so that's a bit yeah, different. Yeah. You wanted to say you saw Nicolosi pocket Barella for eighty-seven minutes. Um, I was just I was just gonna try to rhyme pussy with Nicolosi somehow, but <laughs> 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 I, I, I didn't want to be I didn't want to be classless. You know, look if you want this <laughs> podcast to grow and gain advertisers, these aren't the kind of jokes you can be making, Jay. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, BMW just pulled out of their multi-million year, multi-year sponsorship. If we want the, whatever his name is, the Finnish entrepreneur's interview, we can't be going around, you know, trash talking. <laughs> but yeah. On the note of sponsorship, I think I could do better than uh, what we've been doing recently. Qatar for 1 million. That's got to be a record <laughs> low for Qatar. <laughs> Qatar Airways, I mean. I don't know if they've ever invested less in something than they did in us. I will say that All this right. is we we were at the match and there's this huge pre-match presentation. They have this like banner on the field. They're projecting the lights. 
everyone's pumped thinking, man, this is going to be an awesome introduction. <laughs> I think Miko's filming it on his phone. Like we got to capture this and it ends up being a Qatar Airways commercial. It was pretty great. Anticlimactic to say the least. <laughs> that was probably <laughs> what they paid for. Just, the, you know, it was 1 million for that, for that, uh, commercial, uh, you know, debut and that's it. Money's gone. I think the plan is for them to become the main kit sponsor next season. I don't know. Maybe we can get Verratti on loan once we sell Barilla. Anyway, let's go back to talking about the Napoli game. Jay, Jay break down this match for me. Um, it's 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 hard to it's hard to say. I mean, I know I said that Napoli are a uh, you know. An opportunity there for the taking. I do mean that, um, but Mazzari is such an unknown entity. I was watching the Atalanta Napoli match, expecting Atalanta to demolish Napoli, but Atalanta was surprisingly toothless. That might have been because they played the Ketelara for like seventy minutes or whatever. But um, should have started Skamaka. <laughs> maybe they could have if he was fit for a change. Um, but I don't know why he wasn't. Starting, but whatever. Um, look, remember what Spalletti said. Yes, exactly. Skamaka needs to grow up. Uh, look, I'm right. tired of incompetent, mediocre <laughs> Italian managers like Gasparini and Spalletti ruining Skamaka's career. He needs not, not seeing his not seeing his talent. Right. He needs the mentorship of Moyes at West Ham. That's what he needs. <laughs> that first it, it was he... not grow up. It was wake up. Oh yeah, that's it. That's it. He needs to wake up. Yeah. What were you saying, Efron? I thought he said something like he's out for a snooze or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, um, Napoli, they, I think they lost Oliveira. I'm pretty sure their left back went off with a pretty, um, or not an insignificant injury against Atalanta. So they were playing our old boy, uh, Joan Jesus, at, at left back. Um, but... I don't know what's up with Mario Rui, whether he's injured as well. But other than that, they seem to have a pretty, um, you know, uh, first choice lineup. I don't know what the situation is with the defenders. Natan is now first choice, I guess, alongside Rahmani, um, with Kim obviously having left. I think the only players they're missing are, yeah, the left back Oliveira and potentially Osiman, who came off the bench. I don't know if he'll start it. Uh, against us, or whether he'll, whether they'll keep him on the bench and ease him back into the into the starting lineup, but for some reason, I'm just not that worried about them. You know, like the bigger thing, rather other than them being managed by Garcia and all that, was that the magic just seems to have uh, disappeared. Like they were la- they're laboring for results. They're not like just blowing teams aside on this fantastic. Uh, winning run like they did last season where it seemed like they were a team of destiny. This season seems the exact opposite. They're hitting, you know, realities hit them hard. Um, Injuries, sales, you know, uh, disharmony in the squad and management and ownership levels. So, yeah, I'm just not that worried. I I, I don't expect us to blow them out of the water. Having said that, I could see us winning 2-1 or 1-0 or I could see us drawing. So, you know what, I'll say 1-0. Or maybe two one, telling all the penalty. <laughs> hey, like clockwork, he doesn't miss. 
Miko, I guess the, the one guy we haven't talked about yet who I want to get your thoughts on is Raspadori because he's been starting, obviously, with the injury to Osman. He's been starting for Italy, actually, or at least splitting starting duties in the national team. So, And even when he doesn't start as a striker, sometimes they're deploying him as a winger. Just curious your thoughts on him. I know he was a player we were linked to a bit. Do you think he can give us some trouble? Yeah, I think I think he was pretty good for Italy when he he's getting his minutes there, and also for Napoli, he's he's like a that kind of a small small guy, which who's really really like a, I don't know agile and and fast and accelerates accelerates pretty well, but then he also has like a cannon of a shot. So I feel like he, he can trouble us because I can see a scenario where, okay, we are leading in the second half. Then, then, then Masari brings Raspadori in and Napoli is piling pressure, pressure on our half. And, and I, I don't know, doesn't feel, feel good to see Raspadori, Raspadori there because he is, to me, he's he's a very dangerous player. Yeah, more so than Osman, you reckon? Well, maybe not, but uh, I'm not sure how how like how fit Osman is at the moment. But at least he started against Atalanta, so I guess he's he's fully fit in a sense. But of course, the match fitness is different. But uh, I would guess that Osman will start but Raspadori will definitely come in at some point. All right. Well, I guess we can move to predictions. Jay already gave his. Miko, what, what are you thinking? It sounds like you're maybe not expecting a win. Yeah, I don't know. I like I like to predict intervene, so I'm going to go 1-2 intervene. <laughs> not going to go even with the draw. Now, here's a question I asked the audience at home. Has there been a match this season where Miko did not predict an inter win? <laughs> Now you're you're right more often than not. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. I don't think he. I think he has predicted a win every single time. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, we've only not won three games or four games now with Juve. So you know you're mostly right, and you know I love it. Uh, Irfan, what do you got for me? Yeah, this is a tough one. I mean, they Napoli still have that uh, Zelensky, Labotka, and and Guisa midfield too, right? I mean, all three of those guys are still around. Yes. Okay, yeah, I, they're like they're a good team. Uh, I know they ha- they had been performed that well this year, and a lot of that is I think due to Rudy Garcia um, and to um, you know Simon being injured. So they're still a dangerous team, but but again, I, I'm I'm predicting a win here. I, I think we're going to be well rested coming out of that uh, Benfica match, and I think we'll have a a bit of a bad taste in our mouth not having beat Juve. I think we'll come out for it and like i said i think napoli are dangerous but they're not going to prevent us from playing our game so i'm actually predicting a pretty pretty exciting match and i think we win the match 2-3 look it's 2023 i absolutely refuse to pick walter mazzari playing a 4-3-3 beating this inter i just can't do it if you want a more 
technical, tactical view of things. I do think the weak point of this Napoli team is their defense. Natan is horrible. I, I have not been impressed with him at all as a signing. Romani is fine. I, I'm not opposed to him as a player. But when I, when I look at the way Lataro and Taram are playing right now, I, I just can't imagine a scenario where this Napoli defense is able to slow them down. I mean, they're bringing in Juan off the bench. Just I refuse to give Mazzari a vote of confidence. This is going to be an easy 2-0 Inter win. You haven't, uh, you're, not, you're not buying into his... Um... <laughs> have you seen his like uh have you seen his like appealing to to the media he's like oh i'm a new Matsuri. i've spent a year learning and studying and he's like oh you know i can play 4-3-3 and he also said oh i don't complain anymore because everyone says Matsuri complains like he's he's going really out of his way to try and you know pander to the to the media to the fans and try and like sell himself because everyone knows that this is a joke of a of a signing, you know, um, Matsari in 2023 is not a serious, it's just not something you do if you're really serious about your team. So yeah, uh, it's, it'll, it's, it's funny. It's comical to see him like, yeah, having to, to actually try and justify his own, you know, existence. Own, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. He, he came out and he's like, I've studied every Spalletti move this team made the past two seasons. I have them all memorized. All I'm saying is after we beat them and after they go into a mini slump, there's going to be a Retiro and there's going to be a point where he tries to shoehorn a 3-5-2 into this team. I promise you it's going to happen at some point this year. It, it was funny about that when he when he said that he's not going to complain as much and then he took a yellow card at 32 minutes or something in the Atalanta match. <laughs> <laughs> but did he chew a water bottle? <laughs> I didn't see, <laughs> but uh, actually now that I check, uh, th- now that I'm checking, it was actually Raspador starting in that match. So Oshima, yeah, yeah, not not ready yet. I like. Fuller I was going to say about Matsari, his his um excuse about the rain uh, is right up there with Pioli. After you know, after the recent derby, saying we were the better team for four minutes or something like that, or. What? <laughs> <laughs> only, only one team had possession in the first four minutes. Like, like, it, it, it was we were good until it started raining. You know, uh, that's yeah. Two of my most memorable manager quotes. <sighs> that's that's great. I've done a pretty good job blocking his entire first stint at the club out of my memory. But the, the one part forever ingrained in it is when he was playing that Algerian striker at right wing back. What was his name? Befo- Bel- Belfadil. 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 Yeah. Yeah, that, that's his legacy to me. Uh, do you have a have a benching Zanetti for for Jonathan? <laughs> okay. Or, or, uh, <laughs> you know, Forgot about um, that one. Oh, there was there was a lot of oh, was man. I I just remember this horrendous three five two with Guarin playing as like some second striker slash. AM hybrid abomination behind yeah. Palacio, who himself should have been that, you know, the second striker <laughs> behind Icardi. But I think Icardi was injured for uh, most of Matsari's first season. But Jesus, that was some garish football with Nagatomo being a protagonist somehow. You know, just Matsari's football uses the wingbacks so much that 
they inevitably end up, you know, with pretty high numbers in terms of goal contributions and whatnot. So, you know, people buying into this illusion that Nagatomo and Jonathan were, you know, were respectable footballers and that Mendel was somehow this, you know, uh, good midfielder because he had high passing stats and high passing accuracy and all this and him trying to turn us into this Napoli light by, I mean, we had Campagnaro uh, and we were seriously trying to sign the likes of Zuniga and uh, Christian Maggio and, and Valon Berami and stuff like this. It was just nightmare after nightmare after nightmare. I'm, I can't believe so. You know, we, we managed to survive that era of, of Inter. But um, having said all that, you know, people say that, uh, Matt, uh, that Spalletti was the one who kind of corrected us and got us, you know, out of the wilderness. I will credit Mazzari for being like the precursor to Spalletti in a way, you know. We were in free fall. I think we'd finished ninth the season before that on the Stramaccioni and he at least got us back to fifth where we were, you know, where we went from being a complete joke to being like a kind of, uh, what do you even describe that? Like one of these fallen giants on the, you know, taking the first step to recovery. So I'll give him like the tiniest bit of credit for that. He got us back to Europa League playoff matches. So, I mean, exactly what well, we played counts. against the likes of. Uh, just, I can't get over that uh, the, that triangle of like Jonathan Guarin and uh, uh, who's the other, who, who did you say the other midfield that we had? Oh, Medell. Like that, <laughs> that, that, that just envisioning those three trying to like interplay just, I can't help. I've been laughing out loud for like the last two minutes just on mute because it's it's just unbelievable to me. That we sported a team like that, and a, and a Wallace on loan um, as well. Wallace from Chelsea on loan, and uh, who else do we yeah. have? We had uh... we had Rolando. Rolando was good. I remember he Rolando. scored our only goal against Juve that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember us. Um, I remember being upset that we didn't sign him because this was like, and this was one of just many, many. Exactly, exactly. One of many just idiotic transfer decisions that we had to endure during this time. And I can't remember whether it was, I can't remember whether Branco was still the, the, the GM at this point or the SD at this point and Asilio was like chief scout or something. But I remember Rolando playing quite well, you know, in, you know, given the context. And then we could have signed him for like 2 million or some, or some really negligible fee, but we tried to negotiate it down and <laughs> failed to secure him. <laughs> and, on, and just all these banterish decisions just one after the other it was it was ridiculous and yeah my, my real we're, the game that will never escape me is we're, we're playing napoli away with mazaria's manager and we go down i think we were down like three one maybe or three three two something like that and then alvarez gets sent off and we immediately collapse. Like we, we were feeling ourselves. We felt like we were going to pull. We were down like three nothing. We made it three two, I think. And we're feeling okay. We're feeling like we can get the draw here. Alvarez gets sent off, and we're just we get roasted. Ricky fucking Alvarez. What a what a player that guy was not. I mean, he <laughs> Maravilla we signed him. Yeah, Ricky Maravilla. He changed his name from Alvarez to Ricky. You know, on his shirt. I mean. Um, that that's that's feeling yourself if anything ever was uh i remember when we signed him from velez sarsfield no one had a fucking clue who this guy was except that he was some kind of potentially fast winger or something and then 
ended up playing as a CM and, you know, forever had this this weight, this albatross around his neck because he was consistently compared to Vidal and that we had apparently chosen him over signing Vidal for the same amount of money, which was $11 million at the time. Um, and then, of course, he went to Sunderland uh, with an obligation for $20 million if if um, they didn't get relegated. They were not relegated, and so they had to sign him. But then I think they didn't pay us or something like that, or they tried to sue us because... They, they tried not to pay us, and they took us to court saying, I don't really know they, what the what they were trying to argue, whether it somehow was that the injury. He was injured. He, yeah, he was injured, and they wanted to operate on him, but we blocked the operation, you know, assuming that that would impede his ability to contribute or whatever. And... Um, yeah, uh, they were saying that's why uh, the like the contract was breached or whatever. I have no idea what ended up happening. I do recall, you know, at this point, several years ago, seeing that some court had upheld the decision and that Sunderland did have to pay us. But you know, I never saw any of that money. You know what I mean? So uh, <laughs> it, I have it was used to pay Kuzmanovic and Dodo salaries those years. <laughs> I, I think they paid us. They, they did, what? yes. Yeah. Okay, okay. The, 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 you know, who do, who, do, who do you think Sunderland are? Digital bits or something? <laughs> well, anyway, all right. Well, that concludes Banta era memory lane. Tune in next week when we hash the second Mancini era. Oh. <laughs> please no, please no. That, that, that's somehow almost as bad as the Matsuri era. Yeah. It. Because I had genuine hope. I wanted. I thought Mancini was the right person. I remember even long before Matsari got sacked, I remember saying, uh, just chatting out loud, saying, Mancini is free. Now is the time to bring him back. And then, uh, you know, after one... See, what happened? I think it was... Then he we sold were, our generational prospect for Kandagbia. <laughs> I, I think... That, did Mancini... No, no, that's right. That's right. He came. He came on board. We were leading this. We were leading uh, the league for like the first fifteen Four months or something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and and then, Felipe Melo had the yeah, meltdown yeah, against yeah. Lazio. And then Felipe Melo tried to kick someone's head clean off their shoulders. Uh, we lost at home to Lazio, and then our season just completely unraveled. And I think we finished fourth, which at this point was still not a Champions League spot because we yeah. only had three at that time. And then going to the next season. He left after having differences with, with Suning because they bought all of fucking Kia Jurabchian's clients like Xiao Mario and, <laughs> and, and Kondogbia. And yeah, he raged with stuff. He wanted Yaya Torre. They got Joe Mario. And somehow he was still right in the end. Yeah, yeah he wanted a 35-year-old Yaya Torre and wanted us to pay him $8 million per season or something like that. And yeah, like you said, somehow that ended up being correct instead. And it's just incredible to think about but. Let's let's not let's let's stop let's stop while yeah. we still can. Let's but not ruin the next episode. Want, yeah, I want one full episode dedicated to Frank DeBoer, though. At some point, uh, I'll, 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 talk, I'll talk about his time at Atlanta United. Uh, <laughs> all right, well, <laughs> that wraps up this. Did I get a prediction from everyone for the Napoli match? Yeah, you did. One nil. All right, cool. Well, that'll wrap up this week. We'll be back next week to break down the Benfica and Napoli fixtures. Have a good one, everyone. See you later. All right. Bye. Thanks.